So I'd like to begin in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, you said where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. You are in our midst right now. Jesus, open our minds and our hearts to a new and deepening relationship with you, especially in our prayer. Help us to walk with you inside and outside of our explicit moments of prayer. Help us to desire more, to expect more, to believe more in your presence in our souls. We entrust ourselves and our interior lives into the hands of our Mother Mary. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I would like to share um, not only a little bit of my story, but quite a bit about prayer. How many people approach a priest and say, Father, I'm just really struggling with my prayer, I'm so distracted. Father, I just don't even know where to begin to pray. I feel like I'm praying badly. A couple caveats to begin. One is my spiritual journey is not going to be your spiritual journey, right? And so it's not a copy and paste of look at how this person prays and look at their relationship with God, and this must be my journey to God as well. Not necessarily the case, right? So I want to begin with this, uh, quoting this article on prayer by Armand Nigro, actually a a Jesuit priest. I know, Jesuits, what can they teach us about prayer? But they can teach us a lot about prayer when they're in their true form, okay? So I want to just begin, and I'm going to have Pat email this article to you, but the article is called Prayer, A Personal Response to God's Presence. I think the first line is so beautiful. We hear a great deal about religious crisis, don't we? There are crises of authority and obedience, of community life, of personal identity, of religious poverty, etc. I am convinced that the basis of it all is a crisis of faith. But there is no hope for improvement here unless individual persons begin to respond better to God in prayer. This is true, I think, both of lay people and of us religious. The real crisis that we have in our culture and in every time and place is a crisis of prayer, a crisis of relationship with God. I think we particularly as men, are called to be profoundly rooted in our relationship with Jesus because the evil one, when he tries to break down society, he goes through the man. He breaks down the man, and through the man, he breaks down the marriage. And through the marriage, he breaks down the family. And through the family, he breaks down society. But the man will not be strong unless he is rooted in his personal relationship with Jesus. And let me tell you, so incredibly few are rooted in a relationship with Jesus. Even those who call themselves Catholic and Christian. They might even go to Mass, but they are not firmly rooted in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this was me, and is still me on, on bad days, up until 
I got to college. Like many people, I considered prayer, going to church on Sundays, going to church maybe with my school, maybe praying, bless us, O Lord, before a meal, maybe saying a few Our Fathers or Hail Marys when I'm in difficulty. But that is just the first layer of prayer, an albeit very important one. It is not the summation of all that is prayer, all that is relationship with Jesus Christ. So we as Catholics are especially are caricatured as knowing only how to lead a prayer in front of people by saying, bless us, O Lord, Hail Mary, our Father, right? How many of us are willing to speak of our own relationship with the Lord and speak to the Lord in a prayer before other people? Very few, very few. And this is me, again, until a few years ago, and I'm growing in this to this day. This is the other caveat that I wanted to say. I am not the master of prayer. I am growing in prayer. So I just like to share a few of the lessons that I've learned from my life up until this point. The first one is that I thought prayer was just what you say to God. But just as any relationship worth its salt is a two-way street, so our relationship with God should be a two-way street. And by two-way street, I mean a little bit of us toward God, but a lot of God toward us first and foremost. It's not much of a conversation if we do all of the talking. I was listening recently to a talk given by a man who had, I think, a very strong insight in our culture. We spend the vast majority of our educational years learning how to communicate well. You learn the rules of grammar. You learn all the English. You get feedback. No, this is not how you say this. This is how you pronounce that. You can make a better presentation if you present in this way and if you say these words in this way and you format your argument in this way. How many lessons did any of us receive on how to listen well? Who has ever given us feedback on, you know, you could be a more attentive listener if you do this, that, or the other thing. Certainly, if you don't do what someone is asking you to do, parents will say, you're not, doing, you're not listening to me. You're not doing what I ask. And that's the bare minimum, right, of listening, is knowing what someone has asked us to do and doing it. But that is the bare minimum of listening. And so it's no wonder that when we get to our relationship with God, we think we need to do a lot of good communication to God, Right? But that is the bare minimum. God wants to hear from us, but the most important thing and the most important point that this article makes is what God does in our prayer is way more important than what we're doing in our time of prayer. So it took me and is taking me all these years to kind of learn more about it's God that is doing all of the heavy lifting in our prayer. We burden ourselves thinking, I am doing this wrong. You're only really doing it wrong if you're not praying at all. If you don't have any time set aside for silence with the Lord in prayer. Silence for prayer is the most important and fundamental presupposition for growing relationship with God in prayer. So in college, it said in my biography there that the sisters of the apostles into your life had such a tremendous impact on me. And they did. They taught me the basics of the second level of prayer, which is called mental prayer or meditative prayer or discursive prayer. They all mean the same thing. Basically, where you're using your mind to engage the scripture, the gospels or another spiritual book to have to receive, to listen to what Jesus is saying through that scripture. And 
many of the sisters of the apostles of interior life hand out copies of this book, which is actually a series of books called In Conversation with God. And what Father Francis Fernandez does, he takes the readings for the day from the Mass, and then he breaks them down and applies them into ordinary living, which is so amazing. It was so novel for me. I was like, wow, what God says in Scripture actually has something to do with my life. And he's speaking to me through the Scripture. So I began by just simply reading this book, but then it became more of a meditative prayer. And you'll hear about the three, the four, the five R's. Read, reflect, resolve. You read until something strikes you. And then when something strikes you, reflect on that. And then when your prayer time is concluded, you say, what is going to be different about my life? Or what can I carry from this time of prayer into the rest of my day? Pretty simple. But we no one, I would say less than 1% of Catholics have ever been taught about this idea of mental or meditative prayer. And this is the key. And Teresa of Avila, she has very strong words about this. She says, those who do not engage, those who practice mental prayer, salvation is, is assured. For those who fail to practice mental prayer, the possibility of of being condemned is very great. Okay? It was very strong language. If you practice this deeper form of prayer, you're not going to go astray. If you don't, you will be more subject to the assaults of the enemy and more likely to be led in the wrong direction that we do not want to go. So this was really the extent of my relationship with the Lord. And thanks be to God, if I only did that for the rest of my life, I think the Lord would have blessed that. And he would have led me to deeper levels of holiness. Because again, it's not so much what I'm doing, so much as what is God, God is doing. But as I enter into religious life, and community life, and then coming especially back to seminary in St. Louis, I was brought to a whole new level of prayer. And it was so, it was so fundamentally shifting for me. I, I just don't even know how to describe it. I, I just experienced so much more freedom and joy because it wasn't, prayer wasn't so much what I was doing anymore. And yes, there is an act, there can be an active component to prayer. First, you have to place yourself there, right? You have to remove external distractions. You, having something in front of you like scripture requires effort. To read through scripture requires effort. But again, the most important things that happen in prayer are that which Jesus is doing. And a fundamental shift happened for me through this book and through other insights of other people in my life. And this book is called The Impact of God by Father Ian Matthews, who is a Carmelite who breaks down the spirituality of St. John of the Cross. The first chapter or two is a little bit hairy, but the rest of it is mind-blowing and shifted my gears completely. When we get to prayer, we often think, well, I'm not feeling anything, so therefore this is bad prayer. Or I might be feeling good things, therefore this is good prayer. Neither of which are necessarily true, okay? Your feelings have nothing to do with the quality of your prayer. Again, the most important thing is that you show up for your time of prayer, that you have a minimum of 15 minutes of silence every day, if not half an hour every day. But this book was so illustrative for me and revolutionary for me Because John of the Cross is 
often misunderstood, but basically what he is communicating is God is already here. Jesus is already within your soul. You have only to receive his presence that is already there. It's not when I say this magic formula of prayers and novenas and devotionals that then I somehow pull the slot machine lever and I have become holy. It is, I am here, Lord, and you are loving me. This is the beginning of prayer. I am here, but you are already here and you are loving me before I've even done diddly squat. Receiving Jesus' love in prayer is the name of the game. And again, I'm not saying that I'm the master of this, but I know that this is the truth and that I want to conform my life more and more to this truth that Jesus is already loving me. He is already transforming me. If only I place myself before him to simply be transformed by him. So this is kind of the phase, I guess I could call it, that I'm in now in my spiritual journey. And it's so much better. It's so much better than what I thought prayer was, where I basically had to grip my teeth and make something happen in my prayer, which is very frustrating and doesn't inspire anyone to want to go to pray. When you say, my time of silence is my time to allow God to refresh me, to give me love, joy, and peace in my soul, that is a game changer. I was on my spiritual exercises last year, and my spiritual director said something offhandedly that he had heard from another priest. And I was like, whoa, 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 say that again? That's really important. And it goes hand in hand with this idea that God is already at work, regardless of how it feels. He said there are two types of communion. There is the communion of consolation. And there is the communion of dry longing or desire. Whether we have an awareness of God's love, which is called consolation, and we can just so easily thank and praise God for who he is because he's loving us so well and has loved us so well up until this point in our life, that is one kind of communion, and it is good. And thanks be to God, he doesn't always leave us in desolation and dryness. But there is also very much a communion of dry longing, dry desire, where we feel like God is not there, but the fact that we desire to be with God means that we are already in communion with Him. Do you see why this makes a difference? Because regardless of how you feel in this moment, if you desire to be with God, He is already with you. This, for me, is revolutionary. And I can spend an hour in adoration and not have good prayer time by any feeling standards. But just because I wanted to be with you, God, and it was a struggle, means that you are already pleased with me, and you are already in me, and you are doing something beyond what I can conceive of. Leading into um, my time as a priest and in the parish, I'm all about kind of having structure and format and outline and summaries, how am I going to best communicate in the most simple form 
the absolute essentials of the spiritual life because I'm meant to be a spiritual father, a spiritual leader, as you are all meant to be spiritual leaders and spiritual fathers to your biological family and to those that are so desperate for good, holy men, fathers, and grandfathers. We are a culture starved for fatherhood, especially fatherhood rooted in holiness, which is union with God. We are so starved for it. So if I were to boil it down and say, here are the few things that I would like us all to do on a regular basis, if I believe, if you do these three things, which are kind of caught up with all these things that I've already been saying, we will be fine. And more than fine, we will become holier if we do these three things. Are you ready for the three things? Okay, for the three people that said yes, I will tell you three. The rest of you will have to scramble, okay? The first, and if you've gone to Mass with me for more than one weekend, you've heard me talk about it. It is regular repentance. Regular repentance. If we don't have sins, we don't need a Savior. If we don't have sins, we don't need Jesus. And if we don't need Jesus, why in the world are we Christian or Catholic? We need to repent. Regardless of what state of life we are in, we have sin on our souls. And unless we are repenting every month or two, the evil one, we are leaving the door open for evil, the evil one to come and have his way with us and with our loved ones. We are here to talk about building a culture of vocations. The best thing you can do to cultivate vocations is to personally repent of all of the evil that you see so readily around you that is within ourselves. You want to change society, you want to change politics, you want to change church culture, allow Jesus to heal you of your own wounds and sins. And that happens first and foremost in confession. Repent and believe in the gospel. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth as he began his public ministry. So I figure as a priest... It would probably be a good thing if I said those words every once in a while. If Jesus thought it was important, if John the Baptist thought it was important, if Jesus was not afraid to make a lot of people mad because he talked about the real possibility of being condemned to hell. That is real. We live in a culture, society that says basically everyone is okay and everyone goes to heaven. That is not the message of Jesus Christ. He says, I am here. You need to repent. Sin sin is real. Evil is real. The devil is real. And so we have to repent. We have to repent. Regular use of confession is absolutely essential. If we get that one thing right, if I leave a parish and all I have done is create a greater culture of repentance and confession, that parish is going to be fine. The parish is going to be fine. But if I go to a parish that is filled with thousands of families, tons of programs, and doing all of these good charitable works, but there is no one in line for confession, that parish is spiritually dead. 
We are not judged by the standards of the world. We are judged by the standards of sin and grace. Repent, repent, repent. That is the first and foremost important thing. Number two is something that came through, especially me reading this book and being convicted of it. It's called Into Your Hands, Father, by Father Wilfred Stinnison. Into Your Hands, Father, and the subtitle is Abandoning Ourselves to the God Who Loves Us. And let me read this first paragraph of this book because this is so convicting and it spoke to my heart. As Catholics, we are inundated with so many things. You must do this, you have to do this, or you can't be holy. And he was aware of that. So let me just listen to this one thing. The Gospels and spiritual literature point out various practices of importance on the journey to God. We are told to deny ourselves, forgive one another, carry our cross, fast, and give alms. We must also love our neighbor, pray with others, and in private, bring our troubles to the Lord and be peacemakers. All of these things have their place. And nothing may be overlooked, but they may cause us to feel confused and divided. And we might even ask ourselves where we will find the strength to do all that is required. In spiritual reading, we are instructed about balanced asceticism. The mass readings of the day tell us of prayer and retreat master and the retreat master speaks about love. We are pulled in different directions and instead of finding peace, we become restless. What we need most is a central idea, something so basic and comprehensive that it encompasses everything else. Has he gotten your attention yet? What is the one thing I can focus on that encompasses everything else and will lead me surely into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? In my opinion, that central idea is surrender. Surrender. And so if you've come to Mass with me more than two times, you have heard me speak about this novena called the Novena of Surrender. And the fact that it's a novena is irrelevant. Novena means a nine-day prayer. And these are Jesus' words spoken in private revelation to a priest a hundred years ago, Father Dolindo Rotolo. And Jesus is basically saying over and over again, why don't you trust me? Why don't you live and act as though I'm actually going to provide for you? Because I am. If only you would surrender yourself to me. Because we want to control. We want to manage And if you're anything like me, you like solving the world's problems as you sit around a circular table, right? Jesus is the savior of the world and we are not. The best thing we can do for ourselves, for our families, for our world is to surrender the problems we see in ourselves, our family and the world to Jesus every day, concretely. And so I prayed this prayer on repeat for a year and a half after I came to the conclusion on my spiritual exercises in seminary one year, oh my gosh, surrender, that's what I need above everything else. And I got back to the seminary and our rector handed us the novena of surrender. I was like, ah, great, here's how I can do it. Here's how I can live it every day. And so I say, I don't necessarily read Jesus's words every day that are in that prayer, but I do say every day at least 10 times, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. And then after I say that, I replace myself with whatever it is that else is concerning me. Jesus, I surrender this talk to you. You take care of it. 
Jesus, I surrender my family to you. You take care of it. Jesus, I surrender this homily to you. You take care of it. Whatever it is that I think I have to do and I have to make happen, I surrender it in advance. So even if I were to forget later in the day to pray to God, to offer it to him, I already have. And it has made my life so much more free and so much more enjoyable because I don't have to make everything happen. I surrender every single day. Repentance. Surrender. I'd be amazed if you knew what the last one was. But it is gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. If there is one virtue that I would love for all of us to cultivate, almost above all others, it is gratitude. Because here's the trick. You cannot be grateful and have just about any other vice in your soul. It's difficult to be prideful, lustful, angry, gluttonous, greedy, envy, envious, or slothful, and be grateful at the same time. If we are intentionally grateful to the Lord every single day, there's just no room for those poisons in our soul. And our relationships become richer. Can you think about the most grateful person that you know in your life? the most affirming person in your life? They don't have any difficulty making friends, do they? Because they emanate that which we all seek, which is a gracious, grateful heart. Can you think of the most bitter and pessimistic person that you know? Nobody wants to be around them because they are toxic. And everyone wants to have healthy boundaries from them. If you notice, it looks a little nerdy because it is. I always carry a little notebook with me in my breast pocket and a little pen. And every single day, because again, I need to be concrete or practical, right? I need to know whether I did something or I didn't. Usually after I've called to mind God's presence, in my prayer and after I've shared what's ever on my heart and I've surrendered the things that are concerning me, usually the next step that I often take in my prayer is to open my little notebook and to write to Jesus, thank you Jesus for dot 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 and I go down the line and start listing off things from the last 24 hours. This is not generic gratitude thrown to an empty room but very specific gratitude directed to a person who is responsible for those blessings that he has given in these last 24 hours. And so we might not feel or experience or notice God's love for us in our times of prayer, but wouldn't it be amazing if on our times of prayer we're able to notice in retrospect all of the ways that God has loved us concretely, tangibly in our lives. If we are grateful, we will know very well and concretely just how much God loves us. And so I make at least three or four points every single day. And now that I've been doing this for almost two years, it's so fun because I can pull out a notebook of August from last year and I can go to August 11th and I can tell you how God loved me on August 11th of last year. I can't tell you what I had for lunch three days ago. But I can tell you how God loved me on August 11th, 2020. 
If we practice gratitude and surrender in these times of silence, already we will be living such good and fruitful prayer. If we regularly repent of our sins, we have nothing to fear and we are laying a firm foundation. To conclude, I just want to share one powerful, powerful experience that I had in my times of prayer just to show you what is possible if we give the Lord prolonged times of prayer. If you haven't done a day or a couple day silent retreat before, now is the time. Use the opportunity that you have in living the retired life to go to the Abbey in Atchison, to go to Christ's Peace House of Prayer outside of Atchison, or up to Nebraska to their retreat center, or to Wichita to their retreat center, or to Broomtree in South Dakota, or to the White House in St. Louis. We have many options to spend prolonged time with Jesus in prayer and with his scripture, ideally having a director to talk with each day that you're on that retreat, because amazing things happen when you give Jesus more time of silence to speak to you. A year and a half ago, I was on my silent retreat, and I was a few days in, and I just finished or started my holy hour reflecting on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And after he had washed the disciples' feet, he says, Do you realize what I have done for you? And I said to Jesus, I have no idea, Jesus, how much you have done for me. And I felt like this call on my heart, this question on my heart from Jesus, Won't you let me love you? And I said, Jesus, that's what I want more than anything. If I know how much you love me, everything else clicks into place. And so what he did is he led me through my first few months of being a priest at the cathedral. And he led me back to my memories with this 15-year-old named Mackenzie Cowan, who was a Miege sophomore and who passed away from brain cancer. I had the opportunity, the privilege, the honor of accompanying her and her, la- and her family in her last month of life. And being able to hold her hand and to pray the rosary with her and to just simply be at her bedside as she declined and as she finally passed was one of the most heart-wrenching and powerful, if not the most heart-wrenching and powerful experience of my life. And what Jesus did with that experience and with that memory, he flipped it on its head and he said, see how much you loved her. See how you would have done anything for her and you did everything you could for her. Basically, if you could love her so much, I love you infinitely more than that. It was like my heart was torn open And I was just a hot mess of tears. Lord, I knew knew with my mind that I was loved, but I did not know until this moment in my heart how much I was loved. And I was just reduced to a hot, teary mess. But it changed my life because this is the starting point of prayer. This is the starting point of the Christian life. Not a good idea but a powerful, life-transforming experience of Jesus' love for us. And if you haven't had an experience like that, pray for it. Ask for it. He wants you to have an experience of His love. 
You need not live by only faith. I know generically that God loves me. He wants you to know concretely, which is why the gratitude journal is so important, which is why giving him the opportunity to provide for you and surrender is so important, which is why allowing him to take away your sins and your guilt is so important in confession, because these are all manifestations of just how much Jesus loves you and loves us. If we live this well personally, evangelization takes care of itself. Evangelization, vocations, takes care of itself. Vocations, societal conversion, happens when we individually encounter the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. Not the idea, the reality. And we experience it as Catholics in the sacraments and in prayer and in our relationship with one another. So I just invite you, men, to join, to join me in my journey towards a deeper intimacy with Jesus Christ, to give him the time of silence to transform our weak and weary hearts into blazing hearts that are conformed to his own sacred heart, conformed to the immaculate heart of Mary that we celebrate in this month of August. It is so thrilling. It is so enjoyable. Part of the reason why I didn't care about my faith is because my faith was reduced to this very small box of expectations that I had for it. My faith is this and nothing more. I don't expect much from it, except for hopefully at some point it will bring me to heaven. That is boring, and it is not of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to blow up the box, our tiny boxes of expectation, and he wants to fill us to capacity and overflowing, and that overflow turns itself into evangelization and vocations. If you'll join me, I'd just like to pray for all of us that we can enter more deeply into Jesus' love and prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, I thank you. Jesus, I praise you. You are here. Help us to live and to pray as if you are and as if you care. And not only do you care, you love us. Bring down the walls that have been built up around our hearts, around our minds, and around our sins. Bring those walls down like you did at Jericho and allow your saving mercy to sweep all of the obstacles to relationship with you away as you washed away the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Flood us now with an awareness of your love, of your joy, of your peace. Fill our hearts anew with a spirit of conversion, a spirit of surrender, a spirit of gratitude. Let it permeate our hearts and overflow to all of those who have been entrusted to our care. Jesus, give us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. Immaculate Heart of Mary, we entrust ourselves to you. Jesus, teach us how to pray.